A quick content note here before we begin this episode of What Am I Rolling? This episode's RPG, Field Guide to Memory, is, at its heart, a solo journaling game and deals with some mature themes. These themes include death, loss and grief, betrayal, cryptid and animal attacks, the breakdown of relationships, and there are some mentions of alcohol as well. Be kind to and responsible with yourself when listening, and do take a break or skip an episode should you need to. Thanks, and stay safe, my friends. Hello, and welcome to What Am I Rolling? A twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Hosted by me, Fiona. This is part four of our Field Guide to Memory one-shot, so make sure you've listened to the first part before continuing on with this episode. To briefly recap, my mentor, the beloved and illustrious cryptid researcher, Dr. Elizabeth Lee, has been officially declared dead five years after she went missing in the field. She spent 20 years studying the pronged horned desert rat, Dipotamus antelocapra, an antlered rat that has not yet been confirmed to exist, hence a cryptid. As Amy Parker, her closest mentee, I have been unravelling the narrative of my mentor's life and relationships through her research and her community, through postcards, through the professor's field notes, through strange scraps and all the physical detritus that accumulates from being alive. It is now up to me to carry on her legacy. In week one, despite my best letter-writing efforts, the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions refused to release Dr. Lee's research to the public. However, a mysterious friend, one Melanie Sparrow, junior archivist at the Institute, has been in touch with some promising leads and scans. An additional note in her letter told me that she was part of a collective of fellow cryptid enthusiasts and allies, and that their goals to preserve Dr. Lee's legacy were aligned with my own. Most importantly, however, my friend instructed that I shouldn't trust the Institute. In week two, I was contacted by Olivia Chin, Vice President of the Keystone Elementary School Cryptid Appreciation Club. She wrote to me asking if we could work collaboratively in order to get Dr. Lee's research released to the public. After much soul searching and anger at the latest press release from the Institute, I started to reach out to other contacts to help with the Little Citizen Science Club's call to action to share anything and everything related to Dr. Lee and her work. In week three, I was inundated with mail regarding Dr. Lee from old colleagues, rivals, fans, and even past lovers. It was becoming clearer to me that Dr. Lee wasn't always a perfect person and had a very complex life, which I had been previously unaware of. Then a breakthrough. Professor Stinston, a so-called rival of Dr. Lee's, sent me images and a geocache location of an unconfirmed Dipotamus ancillocapra skull. Inspired by this, I put all the information I had on the pronged horn desert rat into a social media post. Once posted, I encouraged other people to add to it, along with the hashtag Field Guide to Memory. Field Guide to Memory is a collaborative and narrative journaling game where you, the player, create a physical 
artifact of play that is completely unique to your individual experience. For 20 consecutive days, the player will receive between one to two journaling instructions, prompts, and images of ephemera relating to Dr. Lee. Through writing, drawing, and mapping out your character's experiences, you will explore the ecosystem of Dr. Elizabeth Lee's remarkable yet complicated life as you explore your own feelings and your role in her carefully constructed universe. A quick spoiler warning here though, if you're planning on playing Field Guide to Memory and don't wish to be spoiled, stop listening now and come back when you're ready. One last thing before we begin. Naturally, there are times in this one shot where the players and myself, well, mostly myself, get the rules wrong or forget something plot-wise. For example, there are a lot of scientific language and Latin names for animals in this one, which I definitely get wrong. I know, before you start, it should be Antilocapra, not Ancelocapra. Just thought I'd put that out there now. Whilst we always endeavour to stick to the rules wherever possible, at the end of the day, we all make mistakes. And what matters most is that everyone enjoys themselves. So, with all that out of the way, let's get back to Field Guide to Memory. Part 4. Habitat. Day 16. To my fellow seeker. You didn't know that too many notifications could drain your phone battery until now. At first you kept up with the emails and direct messages, but their number rose like flood water and you have been inundated for what feels like weeks. It has been less than five days since you took your findings public. After you uploaded your research, dozens, maybe hundreds at this point you've lost count, of Dr. Lee's colleagues and peers came forward with their own. There is surprisingly little about the rat. Instead, the letter writers have been sharing their own research, correspondences and letters they have sent to Dr. Lee, along with confessional stories about their own experiences getting stonewalled by the Institute, universities, conservation organisations and other jobs. Their stories brought out stories by people currently working in the industry, and in turn those stories brought out even more from interns and students in the field. Not all of them are about Dr. Lee's research at all. Many of them are personal, people trying to navigate their own grief, trying to find their own footing and place in this new, barely forged community. You sit down to read four of the most recent letters in the time it takes to drink your morning coffee. So, the first one we have is a series of emails from Dr. Spinoza to Dr. Lee. Let's look at the transcript. Uh, okay, subject heading is re-re-re-re-requesting an appearance with the illustrious Dr. Elizabeth Lee. Ah, oh, this was sent February of 2021, so this year. Okay. I didn't realise I missed your email for nearly a year. I thought of shooting your response then, to see what you were up to, but... Life happens. It seems like a shitty excuse now. Of course, life happens. That's how linear time works, you dummy. But I think what we, as humans, are trying to convey when we say that is that we get swept up. In meetings, in deadlines, in public and private pressures, in expectations, in the random things flung into our path. I suppose that's what's happened to me. One year became two, became three, became the sinking realisation that you weren't coming back. That maybe you had not been returning for a long, long time. Life happens. Maybe not for you. That's what we've been told to accept now that the announcement's been made, now that the funding has dried up, 
now that people offer me repetitive condolences when they see me. They mean well, our colleagues. You know that. But we're very good at the pleasantries and maybe not so good at digging beneath the surface. When someone tells me that they are sorry, I want to blurt out, do you know I could have seen her one last time? That wouldn't have been very helpful, I suppose. I don't know why I'm writing to you now. It would be easy to say it's due to guilt, but I'm past that. I got past that in year four. Maybe I just can't stop thinking about you, even after all this time. So here I am, doing something pointless, because some days that's all that feels purposeful. A lovely contradiction, no? No, no, that's not really true. I know why I'm finally writing. Closure. I know I won't get any from this, and it's not like this email will magically solve the reason for your disappearance. Or ideally bring you back, as if this is a spell that should have been cast long ago. But at least Antonio finally figured it out. We are scientists. We're... Uh, you know what I mean. We're used to not having closure. Remember that time in the Antelope Valley where we both swore that that book, its eyes red and haunting, appeared as a different creature to each of us before changing back. I saw a boar, bloody tusks jutting from its jaw. You saw a cub with golden fur. There were those droppings we found in the forests surrounding Rim of the World High School, the ones that combusted every time we tried to leave with them. They refused to be sampled. We will possibly never get closure, but that didn't stop us, did it? You never stopped searching for the pronged horn desert rat. You are gone, and there is no closure. So, why should I stop? I do hope one day that I will find what I'm looking for. Somewhere out there, maybe in the forests above Oakland, or in the deserts of southern Arizona. I'll see her, snap a photo, draw what I can from memory, make field notes, share them with others. I'll be able to say that Homo Indagatrix is real. Until then, I'll keep searching. Dr. E. And then the response for Dr. Lee from back from 2014 says the following. It's very short. It just says, Antonio, things got shuffled around and I'm weirdly free tonight. You still around? Maybe this cryptid will shuffle out of her lab slash home if you're up for it. Love, Dr. Lee. The day before, from Dr. Spinoza. Damn. Okay, um, I'm out of town next week whilst at a teaching fellowship. It figures that you are busy and therefore cannot be seen. <laughs> Sounds like something a cryptid would say. Well, if you think you have some free time coming up, please let me know. I will move heaven and earth to see you in the wild again. Earlier that day, from Dr. Lee. I'm shocked that you haven't yet come up with the proper taxonomy to refer to me. What kind of scientist do you consider yourself? Clearly, I did not teach you well. Have a donor appearance to make then. You know, capitalism rules all and whatnot. But maybe next week, if you're around? You are missed. Dr. Lee. The first message from Dr. Antonio Spinoza. Local lore speaks of a rarely seen cryptid native to the hills who is known to show their face from time to time to their closest friends or colleagues. Perhaps I can bully you into making an appearance at a nearby watering hole. Jackson's is open again after the fire. 8pm Wednesday, maybe? Dr. E. So those last four 
was sent 2014 in the same week. Ah, and then right at the bottom there is a failure to deliver um, message to Dr. Lee's email address. So that one Antonia sent back in February didn't get through because obviously she doesn't have an email address anymore at the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions. How sad. Oh, this letter is addressed to me. Katerina Arder. To whom it may concern. My name is Katerina Arder, and it's come to my attention that you are researching Dr. Elizabeth Lee's life. I don't expect for you to have heard of me, or for Dr. Lee to remember me, actually, as, frankly, I've done little of consequence in cryptozoology. This isn't any kind of academic correspondence. Rather, it is the opposite. I'm reaching out to you with a personal request. But before I do, may I share a story? Once, a long time ago now, I stumbled upon an early draft of one of Dr. Lee's dissertations. Literally, actually, as I was quite young and I tripped over a stack of papers as I explored my neighbourhood library. As you can imagine, the librarian was quite cross with me, having just disrupted her entire day's work collating and cataloguing materials. However, I was a precocious youngster, and rather than be deterred by her piercing glare, I asked her what the pretty drawings were on the paper. She, ever the saint, sighed and pulled open Dr. Lee's draft. It was her first research focus, the high desert beetle local to the areas between Slab City and Joshua Tree. It was a dreadfully dry thesis, I'll admit, as I came to find out much later when I actually did read it, but it didn't matter in that moment. What mattered were the sketches she had drawn of the beetle. Such precision, such detail, such care, all made so evident in a few pencil sketches in her notes. Not only was I enamoured with her artistry, but I was also enamoured with the strikingly obvious love she had for her field. Disdain for this mundane beetle, notwithstanding, of course. I didn't know at the time, but that was what drew me to seek out more about Dr. Lee. So the librarian made a kind suggestion. I should write to Dr. Lee. She told me to tell her what happened and that I had so many questions. Actually, in retrospect, in this moment, I realised she might have been palming me off on Dr. Lee because I suddenly had a million questions about this beetle, and she had a new mess to clean up, courtesy of me. But in any case, she provided me with a photocopy of the drawing, as well as the address of the university where she studied. Wouldn't you know it, I did exactly that. I remember the letter mentioned hero and love. From that moment, I dedicated, well, tried to dedicate, my life to cryptozoology, as she had. I made my parents buy me a lab coat and all the cute little stuffies that I could think of, as well as a sewing kit so I could modify them myself. I'd then write reports, like Dr. Lee did, using a lot of the same words I read in that small snippet of her dissertation. Though the thrill of imagining myself in the field carried me through grade school and even through high school, I found myself beset with questions once I'd reached college. In short, the studies were just fine, but it was the fellows and the classmates, and the stodgy professors, and the snooty TAs, it was all of them who drove me away. They told me I didn't have what it took to seriously study this field, and laughed, laughed, at my breathless enthusiasm for Dr. Lee's work. At first, it was easy to ignore, but eventually, living so long steeped in such relentless reminders of how much I wasn't Dr. Lee, I began to believe them. Soon enough, I believed them to the point that I dropped out. Not just out of the programme, but school altogether. Oh, that's so sad. Since then, I can't help but feel like I failed Dr. Lee. I realise how incredibly silly that is, given that I've never actually met the woman, but still. 
To this day, I still have a photocopy of the beetle pinned to my wall above my desk at home. And to this day, every time I see it, I selfishly wonder, would Dr. Lee be disappointed in me for quitting? Please, excuse the navel-gazing. I should get on with my request. I understand Dr. Lee's whereabouts are still unknown. Foolish though it may seem, foolish though it may seem, I hold out hope that she might very well be alive somewhere, poring over a small creature in a log deep in some forest. You know, I don't expect Dr. Lee to have ever remembered the clumsy, childish doodles I sent her. Nor do I really expect her to ever know what kind of impact she had on a young child such as myself way back then. Really, I feel this hope of her survival might actually well be selfish, as I often find myself regretting never actually seeking Dr. Lee out myself in later life, when I could communicate with something more substantial than markers and preschool English. But, hope aside, I think you're the closest I'm going to come to contacting the real Dr. Lee. You are not her, of course. You are your own person. Still, I have to know. What was Dr. Lee like? I've read the news reports and I've seen the remembrances, but I'm often left to wonder what the real Dr. Lee was like. I feel like I know the big things about her already, but I'm still so curious about everything else. All the little things that, well really make up a person? What was she like in those quiet moments, poring over bug droppings or discarded reptile skins? Did she curse when she dropped something? Did she know how to whistle? I realise all these questions may seem impossibly pointless, but the way I see it, I figure that you, the person who worked closest with her in the last few years, might be the only person who knows these things. So really, I can only pray that you might deign to answer these desperate questions of a washed-up, never-was cryptozoologist. Regardless of whether you answer or not, I want to thank you for the work you've done, and really just hearing out my story. I like to imagine that in some strange parallel universe, it was I in your position, weighing the merits of answering another letter from someone else desperate to know the real story behind the figure she had built in her own hand. I do wish you luck in your task and journeys ahead. Ever in hope, Katerina Arda. Uh, I see now, this is the same Katerina who... The same Katerina who drew those pictures. Bless. Okay, the next one is a letter from Eugene Park, a former cryptozoologist and current high school science teacher. Okay, let's read this one. To whom it may concern, I am a 7th grade biology teacher in the Highland Unified School District, and I am a failed cryptobiologist. I grew up, like many, inspired by Dr. Lee's work, and worked hard towards what I thought would be a degree and academic path leading towards my own work with theoretical evolution and science outreach and education. After earning my master's in zoological ecology, I applied for and obtained a job with an academic institution that, for my own privacy, I will not name here. Very quickly, it became clear to me that I was barred indirectly from little more than entry-level work. I kept running into bureaucratic hurdles, cultural hurdles, and received more critical performance reviews than anyone else who was hired in my same cohort. I felt like I kept misstepping, but no one would explain what those missteps were or why they were considered such obstacles in the path of my desired trajectory of research and leadership. No one was outright hostile towards me, but in spite of a lot of lip service paid to collaborations and diversity in leadership, after five years, I never progressed past the position I was hired for. Eventually, I switched career paths into teaching. This year will be my 10th anniversary as a science teacher. 
I love my students. I am well respected and liked by my colleagues and I pride myself on being able to carry on the spirit of science outreach and education, which is all I wanted to do through cryptobiology. But seeing this impasse set before you regarding Elizabeth Lee's work struck a chord and I was surprised how heartbroken and frustrated I still feel about my own experiences. I do not have much to offer your efforts, but I wanted to write just to say that my experience is not uncommon and I hope that whatever it looks like for you, you win. Sincerely, Eugene Park. All right, the final letter is from a Dr. Lisa Chakrabarti, a former cryptozoologist. To my fellow seeker, I wanted to tell you that last year, the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions denied my grant proposal for a research expedition in search of the balloon hooped lizard. This is not a sad occasion. You see, I am no longer a cryptozoologist. After two decades of pursuing the balloon hooped lizard, reader, I found her. I still remember the moment. My limbs were sore from crouching in a swamp, and I felt like an unwrung towel. The wetlands come by their name, honestly. I hadn't eaten anything but a quick bite of a dry energy bar, too afraid to disturb my target. Seven hours of looking at blue lizards, my friend, which could have been perfectly ordinary skins or the accumulation of all my hopes and dreams and career goals. I would say that all lizards look the same after a while, but they actually do look all the same. But I was looking at one lizard in particular. She just felt like the one. Finally, after gorging herself on a meal of mosquitoes, who had already made a decadent banquet out of me, she put her shiny blue tail in her mouth and rolled away. I had her. We'd since trapped several of them and observed them in captivity, hoping to document their peculiar rolling manoeuvres distinctive to this new species. There are several physiological differences, of course, that I was unable to observe from live specimens alone. We are still working on having enough results to publish, but when I do, she will be the type of specimen for Plestiodon ely, after Dr Elizabeth Lee. We'd never met Dr Lee and I, but I am here because of her. Her early work was what brought me into this field, and her later work cemented my ambitions. To be a professional cryptozoologist means dedicating your life to the pursuit of something that might not be real. A career in search of spectres. In following Dr. Lee's long pursuit of the pronged horned desert rat, I had come to accept the fact that all my work might never result in anything at all. I am not a cryptozoologist anymore, of course. The evolutionary path of the Balona hoop lizard is no longer theoretical. She is real, my lizard, and I am just a zoologist now. I'm writing to you now because I know how hard it must feel, trying to carry on a legacy documented in scattered notes and whispered sightings and so many theories upon theories. But I am rooting for you. I'd always hoped that Dr. Lee would find her rat. I hope you'll find it too. I hope that soon you will stand in the desert, the blistering sun making every inch of your skin feel like it might slough off at any moment, and marvel at a small antlered rat hopping alongside beside an old yucca. I look forward to the day I can welcome you to the club of ex-cryptozoologists. From an old fan of Dr. Lee and a new fan of yours, Dr. Elizabeth Chakrabarti. Once you've read the letter samples, choose one that echoes with one of your own personal memories. Underline or copy down parts of a letter that match your own life. Then open your journal to the diary section. Write a flashback of your own memory on one or two pages using the anchors that are similar between your life and the life of the person writing to Dr. Lee. Once you've completed your flashback, 
turn to the correspondence section of your journal. Write a letter of reply to the correspondent whose letter reminds you of your own memories, thanking them for contributing to the project. Okay, so... So who've we got? We've got... Looking at all four letters from today, we've got Antonio Spinoza, who had a really heartfelt email missing someone and not going back to it. So it felt very similar to the... Was it Sapphire or Safi letter? Then we have the Katerina uh, letter, which, like, I guess... I think Katerina's letter is interesting because it is a little bit navel-gazing, but I understand a little bit of what she's talking about. Um, I think the closest thing I can contend it to is the celebrity death or, you know, and there's an outpouring of grief, you know, from people who don't even know them, really. I'm thinking recently we had Helen McCrory, I think. Yeah, because that was very sad. She'd been in lots of things and there's always stories that came out about her, about her helping people and how her husband missed her and, you know, thought she was amazing this outpouring of grief for someone, you know, you didn't necessarily know well, but impacted your, on your life. For me, as Fiona the player, the one I can definitely think of is when Alan Rickman died. Gosh, I felt... I mean, I still feel sad about it. Every year it comes up, and I didn't know him but I was so fond of his films. I was so fond of the way he acted. And again, all these stories about how generous and kind he was and that he played all these variety of weird, wonderful characters. So I, the Katerina letter does resonate with me a little bit. I really don't like Eugene's letter. I know what he's trying to do. Like he's trying to say that, you know, that his experiences aren't, uncommon, constantly having admin to battle with, blah, 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 but I don't, yeah, I don't get anything from Eugene's letter, which I know it's, it feels a bit mean saying that out loud, but he doesn't have anything to offer us, and it's not really about Dr. Lee, it's about himself, but I know quite a lot of these letters have been about them, you know, people's experiences of dealing with this, this unflinching, faceless silence, like a wall of silence, isn't it? But he's happy, like he's he's a teacher and stuff, so... But yeah. And Chakrabarti, first of all, a fantastic name. I really liked her last lines about, I look forward to the day I can welcome you to the club of ex-cryptozoologists. So I think it's between Lisa Chakrabarti's letter and Katerina's letter. I'm going to go with Katerina's letter. I felt the strongest to that. So a flashback of my own memory. Um, so the whole point of this memory is that it's about somebody that I don't know, but that I was affected by them in some way. I'm wondering what the real person was like. You know, all about the little things that make up somebody. It's tricky, because it'd have to be a mentor of some sort, or maybe a relative that I never met. Oh, well, that yeah. Let's do that. Maybe. Okay, how about this? My family have always been involved in 
cryptozoology, or at least zoology in some way, we've always been interested in animals in some form, which would make sense because obviously I had those bugs underneath my bed, didn't I? Let's talk about a grandparent. Let's talk about a great-grandmother, great-granny Jane Parker. And I think she ran a farm. Her and her husband moved somewhere where there was a lot of farmland. And she, after, ah, ah, her husband pissed off somewhere, either because there was a war going on, never came back from it, or some other, not necessarily nefarious deeds, but he wasn't around. He left her on her own to run a farm. And she did. She ran it, managed to get the farmhands, you know, work the land, pretty much did everything herself for like 30, 40 years, until, right up until she died. My memory, because I wouldn't have met her, would be poring over scrapbooks that my mum would have had. And they are clippings of great Granny Jane doing so. So there'll be pictures of her tilling the land, birthing animals, newspaper articles of the land, you know, her winning first prize at the local farmer's market vegetable growing competition. She looks different, right? Proper short hair, mud on her dress as she's out. Uh, No, she wouldn't even be wearing a dress. I think she'd be wearing breeches. I guess during the war, definitely she'd be there part of the war efforts. Or, well, I don't know, is that too... No, it'd be early... I'm trying to work this out now, because obviously, I think... Okay, so it would be early 1900s, late 1800s, so it would be very uncommon. So I think she'd be working the land quite a bit, setting a name for herself, whereas before, it would mostly be a man's job. So I think looking over at these scrapbooks, these sort of bits of ephemera, I guess, these artefacts, and looking at this person that is like me but isn't like me, And just thinking, like, obviously, these are all the big headlines in this book. All these pictures, all these things, they capture, like, a a shot, a freeze frame in time. But what was she really like? Did she have quiet moments to herself? I think she was quite a physical kind of person, like, using her hands to do stuff. So I don't know if she would have been able to read or read well. So she probably wouldn't do that. You know, looking at these questions. All I have are these documents left of this person that was so integral to my family, like stood out. And yet there's so little that she's left behind in history. Now, not necessarily her fault, the way history is written by certain people. But it makes me think of, you know, we only see this one side of her. What was she like? Was she was she cruel? Was she mean? Was she strict? Did she shout at people? And it makes me think of you know, Dr. Lee, though we don't know everything about Dr. Lee just now. So yeah, flashing back to reading about my great granny Jane. Jane Parker, who owned a really well-developed farm and pretty much did everything by hand herself. A proper success story. And yet there's so little written about her as a result. All right, so the next thing, or the final thing I have to do is write a letter of thanks 
to Katerina. Dear Katerina, thank you for your correspondence. There is no such thing as a washed-up, never-was cryptozoologist. You are a cryptozoologist, so long as you believe yourself to be one. I don't have answer to your questions, but know that Dr. Lee was a kind-hearted, generous person who would have loved to have met you. And she would tell you the same, that you don't need accolades and paper achievements to be a cryptozoologist. You just need the passion and the heart to do it. Thanks again, Amy. Day 17. It has been a busy week. Ah, okay. First up, we have a letter from Hannah Diaz. It reads, Dear friend, it has been a busy week, hasn't it? Thank you for launching the campaign to collect Elizabeth's research and memories from all the people that loved and respected her. I'm moving to formalise all this work and data collection with a new foundation in honour of Elizabeth's memory, the Elizabeth Lee Foundation, and I hope you will join us. I am admittedly a cryptozoology sceptic, and I intend to step down and return to my own research as a perfectly ordinary zoologist from the Foundation once it finds its bearings. We've assembled a legal team that has already filed paperwork to gain access to Elizabeth's office and research at the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions, but I feel like you might have already figured out what I've suspected for a while, Elizabeth wasn't solely focused on researching the pronged horned desert rat for at least five years before her disappearance. She poured her time and heart into mentoring children, encouraging people to embrace the sciences regardless of academic background, and instilled a during love of the natural world in everyone her life touched. That said... I know that the pursuit of the Dipotamus ancillocapra was still a significant part of her life, and ultimately the wedge between us. If so many people believe that continuing to do this research is a way to remember Elizabeth and keep her memory with us, I will agree with them. We have already amassed enough work and public support that a committee led by the Little Citizens Science Club gathered the needed momentum to fund and launch an independent field expedition based on the research and materials that we have. I am inviting you to join our board, both as a cryptozoologist in your own right and a dear friend of Elizabeth. Surprisingly, it's harder than you might expect to find a person who is both a cryptozoologist and loved Elizabeth. Her dedication to educating anyone who was open to learning ruffled feathers in our shared circles. Many did not agree with her ethos of opening the doors to her studies wide to the world. Therefore, I am grateful to have found you and to find that this core guiding principle is one that she instilled in you as well. I sincerely hope that you will join and take a leadership role with the Elizabeth Lee Collective. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Our new intern... Olivia Chin, you may have corresponded with her, she is very young and very clever, 
speaks enthusiastically about you. Hannah. You turn Hannah Diaz's letter over in your hand. The paper rustles quietly. For some reason, you think back to the first ecological systems course you took years and years ago. The hours you spent mapping the interplay of the presence of something, the absence of another, the way the natural movement of each living thing ripples out into the world around them. The way external factors, wildlife, real estate development, a cataclysmic storm, a generous season of rain, creates tipping points that can shift the entire map in unprecedented directions. There are certain moments in your life when you realised you stood in the doorway of something important. Sometimes someone else reached a hand towards you to guide you over the threshold. Sometimes you stepped over it yourself, as naturally as entering your own home. Open your journal to the diary section. On a fresh blank page, on the right-hand side of a two-page spread, write your name in the centre of the page and draw a rectangled box around it. Then draw a small circle around your name. All right. Look at the left-hand page. Think of all the people who have been the marker at a crossroads in your life. Think of the life around you that is not human and a part of your community. The experiences you had with the land that led you to where you stand now. Begin writing all these names down and experiences in no particular order of importance. So in the example, we've got, obviously, the player's name on one side, but then you've got... Elizabeth Lee, mom, Hannah Diaz, my partner, my research assistant, Olivia Chin, the Little Citizens Science Club, and then it's got my kitchen, my couch, grub the dog. Okay, uh, I guess, I guess I'll write this out then. Other people that we've mentioned so far, it makes sense that Hannah Diaz is on there. Arinda Paul should be on there for sure. Uh, Olivia Chin. I'd even say Katerina, because she reminded me of something. From a previous day, so Katarina, the, the person who wrote me a letter. Definitely the Little Citizen Scientist Club. Melanie, I think. She inspired me to talk a bit more. I wrote to somebody else, didn't I? Who did I write to early on? Oh, of course, Peter. Peter, I remember Peter. Yeah, Peter from Precious Week, the partner, the ex-partner. Um, what else would there have been? The park nearby, Olympic Park. My flat, uh, and we'll go for one more. Think of a location. Where would Amy have been? Oh, of course, the bloody um, cryptid hub itself, the location, London Zoo. Perfect. Okay. Oh, interesting. Of course, if I scroll down, there's a few other bits and pieces, possible examples. Um, oh, Bigfoot burlesque. Of course, that was quite important. Put that on there. And there's a lot of other stuff like the bookshelf. And then it's like the plants you see growing in the sidewalk cracks at your bus stop. Nah. Let's see what it says next. Okay. Now on the right-hand side where your name stands at the centre of the page, begin mapping your ecosystem. Along the circle of your name, write the names of the closest members of your community, around four or five of them. Once you've done that, draw a large circle encompassing all those names, like a series of expanding circles or rings around a planet, and write the names of their community members, if you have room, draw another circle and map another in of things. Okay. So it's like the things that are most important to me and then out and out and out, I guess. All right. Well, I mean, all right. Easily, Dr. Lee is in this circle. Um, my flat, I think. <laughs> my flat is in here. 
my place of work, obviously, so the cryptid lab. And I'm going to say the park, Olympic Park. Where's the other one? All right, and then a circle around those. Okay, and then write the names of their community members. I think it's then going to be Hannah Diaz, because I don't really know Hannah that well. Hannah Diaz, Bigfoot Burlesque, Katerina, and, and Olivia. And then I'm going to draw another circle. And then I think I've only got two people left. Yeah, and then I'm going to put in the final one, Harinda Paul and Melanie. So I think those are important, but they're not... Well, I don't think they're... Well, they're not close to me anymore. It's kind of sad that, looking at it, the only person I thought I was close to was Dr. Lee. That's the closest. And then everything else is like my flat, the cryptic's like Olympic Park. That's, that's quite sad, really, I think. Once you've finished your map, open a fresh page in the correspondence section of your journal and write your acceptance letter to Hannah Diaz. See, this is interesting because I, I actually feel a bit uncomfortable with this. I think I'm still rocked by this revelation that Dr. Lee was not all that she seemed. And I'm honoured, but maybe I just feel like I don't think I'm worthy of it at all because oh, so many people loved Dr. Lee and idolised her in such a way but she wasn't perfect it's that thing about seeing a flawed human being and debating is there any point we don't want to we don't want to leave that memory tainted saddened um i kind of wish i couldn't accept it says i do accept though but i actually don't feel it at all why am I even doing this? Like looking at this, my ecological community, gosh, I've created another lonely character. <laughs> it makes me think a lot actually of that musical Dear Evan Hansen and the idea that no matter where you are, you will be found and there are other people just like you and it sharing your grief or sharing your experiences like is uh, sharing a problem is half a problem oh god I can't remember but I feel like my hand is forced in a way to accept this position I know what I'll do I think I'm going to do what Hannah's done and agree to initially be on the board but then also step away when the time is right because it's a lot actually dear Hannah thank you for your letter I am most humbled by your request and will have to consider such an offer. I'm a little bit overwhelmed by all this happening so suddenly and so quickly. So I would say in the meantime, I would accept this offer on the proviso that I too would step down once the foundation has found its bearings. I'd rather just help out and lift others into these positions than forever driving this forward. I don't think that's my place. I don't think I could do it justice. I will follow up with you in a few days on it. Thank you for your consideration. Thanks, Amy.
Day 18. Another answers, then another one. There is always just one songbird that starts off the dawn chorus, calling out to its companions. Within a few moments, another answers, and then another one. And then the colonies nearby hear and begin their own chatter. It takes a few minutes for you to thaw your hands enough in the desert chill to light the little propane stove. You watch the ring of blue flame lick the underside of a single pot of water that will serve to make your coffee and eggs and oatmeal. The air around you grows a little brighter and a little warmer, and by the time the sun crests over the horizon, the birds have already been setting about their day for an hour. Open your journal to the field notes section and answer the questions below. What does the air smell like? Choose from as many of the following options as apply and copy the answer into your journal. The luxuriant fragrance of sagebrush, clean clear dew that clings to the scrub, the musky layer of desert dust on your clothes, and some other things. This is the thing, I don't think, unless it's a really strong smell, the air smells like anything, right? Maybe that's just because I've lived inside for like the last year or so, but any strong smells usually are from animal waste, perhaps, like manure, but I guess... And you're in a forest and you have all those pine trees and stuff, obviously you smell stuff, but this is the desert. I don't know what the desert would smell like. It sounds like, though, that it has just rained, though. Because it's like this clean, clear dew that, that still clings to the scrub. So it feels like either it's rained recently or in the past few days, and it's still not been warm enough to burn it off completely. So maybe there's that sensation of stillness after the rain. The smell of soil and sand after there's been water poured on it. And definitely the uh, the musky layer of this desert dust. You're completely covered in it, right? I'd actually also say there's probably a smell from a fire previous night, right? Campfire. It would have been really cold, so we would have had one on for a little bit before going to bed. It would be a combination of like, this musky, smoky smell that's in all of our clothes, along with this layer... Like, not a thick layer of dust, desert dust, but enough. It has been two weeks since you embarked on your first field expedition for the Elizabeth Lee Foundation. Setting up camp took a little time. Hannah Diaz found several team members to accompany you through her connections, and in keeping with the eclectic origins of your work, many of them are not traditionally trained. You were surprised to see one name, Melanie Sparrow, the former junior archivist at the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions. The notes in Melanie's file, written by Hannah Diaz, stated that although her field experience was minimal, she was an enthusiastic supporter of Dr. Lee's work and relevant to the legal battle to regain access to Dr. Lee's research, although probably less personally organised than an archive specialist ought to be. You have generally appreciated her presence, although she is on the young, compared to you, an excitable side and does not wake up easily at dawn. In the field notes section of your journal, answer the questions below. Your team has between three to six members, including yourself. How many people are you working with on this inaugural expedition? Do they include people you have encountered before in your previous correspondence? Write their names and one or two words about how you know them. So we've got two so far. Myself and Melanie... Um, well, I don't think Hannah Diaz would have come on this trip with me. I think she would have been way too busy doing other things. 
Like, if, we, if we're both out in the field, then we wouldn't get anything done. Similarly, I think Olivia Chin is way too young to come out on this expedition, even though she would have been very excited too. I do think, however, we would have had six people, because it would have been... I think a lot of people would have applied or be really interested to help out, so we wouldn't have been able to cut it down to just a couple. So I think definitely we would have gone on the higher scale. You know what would be lovely? I think one of the other people that I've helped. Ah, maybe? Okay. So it says they're not necessarily trained in the way they need to be. I think I would have asked Harinda Paul to come on and asked if he could um, help me. I think this would have been the first time I've reached out to him in a little while. And he said yes, out of the blue. Like he'd been following all the stuff online and really felt for me because he knew how much Dr. Lee meant to me. And I think he'd been reflecting on a couple of things as well. Like, the job's going fine and stuff, but I, it's that sort of thing that the grass is always greener on the other side. And then I think the other three people will be completely new. But that means I have to make up names off the top of my head. Let's go for... Polly Walker. How do I know her? Um, hang on, let me, let me call up some more names before I uh, think about anything else. Anika Rose would be the other one. And then we'd have Ellie Cho. Okay, so yeah, we've got so we've got myself, we've got we've got Melanie Sparrow, who is that ex-junior archivist. Harinda Paul Singh, who is my ex-colleague at the London Research and Rehabilitation Hub. And then I've got three others that we found through Hannah Diaz's connection. So we've got Polly Walker, Anika Rose, and Ellie Cho. And I like the idea that they're all ex-something. They've all been well-known in their fields, but at the same time, they haven't... Um, they've come up across the sort of barriers of institutions. They've then quit or started their own projects. Ooh, okay, what about if they are... Um, oh, of course, great. I think that they, all three of them, are at different hubs, different cryptid hubs that we're connected to. Polly Walker will be at the Edinburgh Zoo. I think Polly, yeah, so Polly Walker will be at the Edinburgh Zoo hub for, for research and rehabilitation of cryptids. Anika Rose will be Canada, Canadian, I think, so maybe, I wonder if Toronto. So Toronto must have their own, own zoo. Let me just double check. Toronto. So she is at Toronto Zoo. And then we've got Ellie Cho. Ah, oh, Berlin Zoological Garden. Perfect. Yes. There we go. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I like that, actually. Through Hannah Diaz's contacts, we actually have this little network going on. Knowing that you might be in the field for weeks in each stretch, possibly months all told, all of you brought one or two things from home that were not part of the base packing kit to keep you company. What is your object? What are your team's object? Choose from the options below and copy it into your journal with the name of the person it belongs to in parentheses. Okay, so the objects we've got to choose from, and, or sorry, to assign even, we've got chipped enamel mug with the Little Citizen Science Club logo on, a mass market paperback romance novel, the spine bent in several places, a leather tool roll with whittling knives and gouges? 
a small scratched banjo in imperfect tune, a £3 bag of bulk aisle sweets, a clear acrylic organiser with several shades of embroidery floss, and some other things. Okay. Okay, the sweets for sure would have been Harinda Paul. A thousand percent. He always had a sweet tooth. Uh, then I think Ellie Cho would have had the romance novel. Most importantly, though, it would be in German. And then we've got Polly Walker and Anita Rose and Melanie and myself. Oh, a thousand percent, I think Melanie would have the science club mug. She seems like that sort of person who's super keen and probably would have read all about Dr. Lee's stuff and then joined that club. Absolutely. And then Anita Rose would definitely have the whittling knives. We don't ask... <laughs> Polly. Uh, Polly would definitely have the banjo. And I'm going to say no to clear acrylic organiser with several shades of embroidery floss. Mostly because I don't understand what that means. I assume that's like, like floss to me sounds like it's supposed to be cleaning your teeth, which I don't think that's the case. Um, I think I would have brought other things. I think I would have brought something that's not practical. Um, oh, I know what I would have brought. Oh, I'm an idiot. I would have brought a board game, like a very small one that we'd all get to play, and not to promote any, perhaps, but maybe Railroad Inc. Because simple enough, you roll some dice, you draw some pictures, simple. So I would have brought a battered copy of Railroad Inc. Each of you settled quickly into your collective daily routines, and the daily routine of camp takes on a steady rhythm. Arrange the following tasks in the order in which you and your team conducts them. Alright, so there's conveniently six tasks. But is this a daily thing? Yeah, it kind of, kind of indicates it's daily, doesn't it? Um, Alright. Setting up the camp kitchen before dawn. That's probably the first thing. Then a stand-up safety meeting straight away. Checking the trail cams and resetting their triggers. So that, yep, that would be the next thing, I think. Cleaning off the solar panels for the radio charging bank. Yep, we'll do that next. Patrolling through the camp to consolidate any stray belongings. And then putting out the last embers of your campfire. Your evening campfire, sorry. Within a day or two, the flora and fauna around you adapt to your presence. The birds and the animals didn't shy away as quickly when they sighted you, and the plants bounced back from your footfalls. You and your team took up the daily twilight habit of sitting quietly with a cup of coffee or tea and watching the wildlife settle itself around you. This morning, you noticed there was almost no pause at all between you making your presence known at the camp stove and the wildlife going about their daily business. What do you see, smell and hear? Write four to six things you observe every day. If you are stuck for ideas, here's some examples. Songbirds travelling through the shrub in a small Small, melodious cloud. Mm. Coyotes loping alone or in pairs at dawn and singing in a great number on the hills at night. Jackrabbits appearing out of thin air, sometimes so close you can see their golden eyes. Let's, let's think of a couple. Oh, it says four to six things, right? So let's try and do two for each. So what do I see each day? I love the idea those jackrabbits come out. So 100%, those jackrabbits appearing out of thin air, uh, sometimes they're very close and I can see their golden eyes and at the beginning they used to startle us but now we're like, oh it's fine, I didn't mean to scare them. 
So yeah, the jackrabbits and the songbirds. The songbirds traveling like in that sort of cloud, making those sort of dance moves in the air. A thousand percent. That would be nice. I hear, because we're in the desert. So we've got obviously the howling of the coyotes at night. So yeah, go for that. And I'm going to say the gentle snores of Harinda Paul uh, before he wakes up in the morning. And smell. Well, we've kind of covered smell. Kind of. Um, I think it has rained on and off. So that little gentle like pitter-patter. And I guess the wide open space of this desert. It fills the lungs, I guess. It doesn't, I, I still think it doesn't smell of anything. Ah, but what about the smell of coffee or burnt coffee in the morning? Because we've overdone it several times. <laughs> so you have that in the area. And and yeah, the, the campfire as well, actually. The campfire, like, smoke in all of our clothing. Your evening campfires cap off each night with your team. In the chill of the desert air, you're all drawn in towards the glow of a little fire and pass around a kettle of something warm and sweet to drink whilst exchanging jokes and stories, anecdotes of other expeditions or random moments when you were sure you caught a glimpse of a cryptid. Open a fresh page in the diary section of your journal. What was the first time you thought you swear you saw a cryptid in real life? What was it? What was it doing? How did its behaviour fit into the environment you witnessed it in? How did seeing it change how you saw yourself? Um, mm -mm -mm. okay. I don't know what I saw. I was walking back uh, from somewhere, somewhere in the city. And at this point, I'd already been interested in... in and at this point, I'd already been interested in you know, cryptids in general, like the idea or the story of them, but I don't think I... I definitely hadn't seen one up until that point. But it's just nice to, you know, I had some notes and stuff. I was coming back from the library. That was it. It was late at night at the library. I was walking to my halls when something crossed my path. Um, About as small as a cat, but it had six legs. I could have sworn it had six legs. It was there for only a moment, but it wasn't running. It was casual, like sort of the way cats are. I only glanced at it. I only saw it quickly and I was like, oh! and I looked to where it'd gone into sort of this bush area. Yeah, it would have gone. Ah, that's it. It would have gone through some railings into a bush area near um, a park. And obviously it's very dark and I didn't have a torch or anything. So I'm looking in, trying to see it. And... For a moment, I thought I saw some reflective eyes look back at me. But not just a pair, three eyes look back at me, like small pinpricks of light in the dark. And then it was gone. So yeah, it was just walking across the road, presumably going back into its... After a hunt, after seeing stuff, I didn't see it carry anything. Maybe it's patrolling, perhaps. I mean, its behaviour was easily mistaken for I think for like um an outdoor cat but I because I was so convinced by it that you know I saw this in quick succession looking for it because I thought oh that's such a weird thing why would I think it has six legs I think up until that point I wasn't willing to not 
believe, but I was willing to go a certain way, and but I knew where the boundary was. I was like, I'm safe in this comfort zone of belief. And I kind of realised that with all these things, with theoretical evolutions and cryptozoology in general, you need that extra step to believe in yourself and to believe in your work and fully support yourself because no one else is going to do it until you have proof. Now that you've taken extensive field notes, flip to a fresh page in the correspondence section of your journal. Reflect on everything you've experienced so far in this field expedition. When you are ready, write a letter to Dr. Lee as though she was alive and well, puttering about her office, waiting to hear from you about the milestone in your work. In your letter, try and address the following questions. What about your current field expedition do you think she'd like the most? How do you think she would feel about the Elizabeth Lee Foundation? Who, amongst the people you've met so far through carrying on her work, do you think wishes they could see her again the most? What is the thing you'd want to thank her most for? And how did the way she saw you change how you saw yourself? So I've written my letter uh, to Dr. Lee, as if she was alive and well. It's actually quite a hard letter to write, I'd say. Dear Dr. Lee, Greetings from the Petrified Forest National Park. I hope the setter finds you well. We've been here for nearly two weeks, and as you can imagine, it's been quite a trip. No sightings as yet, but we as a team have bonded rather well. You remember Harinder Paul Singh, my ex-colleague from London? Well, he's certainly come out of his shell. I think having more people around who are more sort of quietly passionate about cryptids like Polly has helped, so he doesn't feel drowned out by my wittering ons. The camp we have set up here is pretty good, considering. We have made it as cosy as we can, and given it is the first field expedition for the Elizabeth Lee Foundation, everyone definitely seems to be working extremely hard to get it right. I know you wouldn't say it, but I do kind of wish they hadn't used your full name for the foundation without your title. But I guess Dr. Lee Foundation doesn't really have the same ring to it, does it? I would have probably said something like the Dipotamus Ancilla Capra Foundation, but anyway. I've been on quite a quest sorting out some of the people's submissions for the Little Citizen Science or Scientist Club's call to action recently and came across some correspondence from people you would have known. Sophia misses you quite a lot, and certainly her bees do, as does Hannah Diaz. I actually corresponded with someone called Katerina Arda. You wouldn't have met her, um, but she was inspired by you and got so far to enrol in college, but says that she failed and never became the cryptozoologist. I think you'd like her. She's very passionate about stuff, but as we all know, the drudgery of admin and powers from above got in the way. I'm not sure why I started writing this letter when there hasn't been any results yielded so far. I guess I've been thinking about things these last few weeks. All these correspondences, notes, it's clear you've left your mark on people. But I saw the HR report from that, well, infamous documentary. It's, well, look, I don't know. It showed a side to you that I didn't really think existed. You've always been a people person. To a fault, possibly. 
And acting on your impulses is both good because you drive forward, but also bad because it affects others who get kind of caught up in the crossfire. I kind of realised that maybe I should be starting to make my own way in my research rather than be awestruck by yours and put you on a plinth. If anything, you have shown me that you can do anything that you put your mind to, but by doing so it can be lonely, isolating. I don't want that for me. I want to be true to myself, but consider others too, like Herinda Paul, I guess. You believed in people. You took the time to talk to those who weren't academically minded to encourage that spark of creativity and learning. That's what I want to do. I want to show people that no matter what, you can do something and learn something new, regardless of where you are in life. Thanks, Elizabeth, for, well, for showing me this. I miss you, but I think it's time to move on. I hope wherever you are, you're doing well. Regards, Amy Parker, London Research and Rehabilitation Hub, London Zoo. Day 19. Where is Dr. Lee? You arrive home with an armload of promising circumstantial evidence compiled by you and your team on behalf of the Elizabeth Lee Foundation on your field trip expedition in search of the Dipotamus ancylocapra. Between the trail cameras, regular tracking, consultation with locals and observations of other wildlife in the pronged horn desert rats ecosystem, you are certain you are one step closer to proving its existence. And there was one moment where, in a moment when you were away from the rest of the team, you saw it right in front of you. Open your journal to the field notes section and write down the following. Open your journal to the field notes section and write down the following. Three pieces of circumstantial evidence of Dipotamus ancylocapra's presence. Two possible additional cryptids within the pronged horn desert rats network. For example, a small griffin, much like the Harris hawk, with pack-hunting behaviour, and one description of your live encounter with the pronged horn desert rat. Easily finding tracks, teeny tiny little tracks, because it's such a small rat. Um, we're very lucky to find it, I think maybe on the, let's say the fifth day of the expedition? I think we would have found it near where we store our food. Obviously, we store our food very carefully so that the wildlife doesn't get into it. But I think we would have found lots of little footprints or gate patterns around these things. And not all of them were birds. I think the other thing, because it's only circumstantial evidence, I think we would have heard some squeaks late at night because they're nocturnal. And we think they live in sets. And I think one night late at night, we did stay up to the early hours and we heard a series of squeaks, but we couldn't find anything on the cameras, but we caught it on our audio devices. And it was like almost the communication type of squeaks, where it's like sort of squeaking to alert others of where they are, calling out to them. And then finally, I'm going to say we found some horns. Um, definitely broken horns, because they're very brittle, but we managed to find some in a rock or two, probably about 300, 400 metres away from base camp. 
and it was so small you would have mistaken it for like a petrified you would have mistaken it for like almost like a bit of petrified tree if if it wasn't so distinctive i guess um like clearly as it's broken you can see sort of it doesn't have any rings so it's not a horn and um, and it feels fragile but there's that sort of texture to it it describes it in the game like fingernails but we all know fingernails are are pretty strong like or stronger than most so yeah we found a few broken fragments of horn nearby base camp two possible additional cryptids within the pronged horn desert rats network i mean it seems a little bit of a stretch like this cryptid is already rare enough for us to find anyway so having an additional two of them on top of that seems a little bit odd i'd say but maybe this is a world where actually cryptids do live among us and are quite common we just either choose not to see them or they are very good at hiding and are secretive because they're dying out i don't know but let's think back to what we have so obviously it's given the example of a griffin let's try and think of some other examples i think maybe a snake type reptile ah a reptile of course i think i would have seen my free-headed lizard the one that's my favorite undiscovered one again it doesn't say i've seen it it just says that possible i think there was more evidence than i suspected of having certain reptiles in the desert um my brain goes to the two-headed well three-headed lizard sorry the one that's like say for beetle brocks and the push me pull you but i think there would have been that kind of maybe a relative of that kind of lizard oh sorry reptile in the desert and then another one um let's go for a snake a snake of some sort how about a crossover between a snake and one of those running I think they're lizards, aren't they? The body of a snake, but with legs attached. The strength it has to move its head quite far away from its body, like on a line, and with very small legs, we're able to dash through and move. Yeah, like an elongated snake with reptile legs. Ugh, terrible. Ooh, okay, how about this then? Instead of four legs, how about lots of legs essentially make it into a millipede or a centipede but the size of a snake and is a snake oh that's a horrible image i'm gonna put that down a snakeipede and then finally my description of my live encounter with the pronged horn desert rat it's gonna be boring right because i would have just been I would have been caught off guard when it happened. I was taking a break from cleaning the solar panels uh, for our equipment. And I just sat down, just taking a little, little bit of a load off. And I was drinking a cup of coffee, not really thinking, just getting on with stuff. And as I got up, I noticed there was something sitting on the solar panel next to me and I turned to look and whatever it is dashed away super quickly but I swear it was like within a foot of me this sort of creature looking at me probably looking at my coffee 
And it was one of those things where it had just come up very close to me, not afraid, until I made a sudden movement. But as it dashed away, the way it scampered, and the telltale sign of two little horns peeking out of its head, I could have sworn it was the pronged horn desert rat. You turn your phone off aeroplane mode and skim through the expected explosion of new messages in your inbox. Many of them are from other members of the board, people sending you more accounts of cryptids they've seen with inquiries about how to start their own expeditions to look for them, a few fundraising emails, and one letter with a subject line that catches your attention. And the subject line is, where is Dr. Lee? The email reads, Hello. My name is Jada Rashad, and I am a fifth grader at New Oaks Elementary School. I was supposed to do a science paper about women in science, and while I was searching for someone to write about, I found a YT channel, that stands for YouTube, in case you didn't know, with a lot of episodes of an old TV show called The Cryptid Discovery Hour. I really, really like it, and I think Dr. Lee is so cool, and I want to be like her and study cryptids so I can go out and camp in the desert and the mountains and the forests and explore the world and study nature one day, just like her. Dr. Lee always starts the show by reading a letter from the Little Citizen Scientist Club, and I asked my parents how I can join the LCSC so I can write to her too, but they told me she's not there anymore. I asked them where she went, and they said they didn't know. All of the uploads of her show end with the same thank you note, which has your name in it and the name of the Elizabeth Lee Foundation. So I looked you up on this website called LinkedIn and that had your email address. I hope that's okay. I thought maybe since Sparrows underscore Melanie, the YouTuber who uploaded the show, knows who you are enough to thank you on her channel, you might be able to tell me. Where is Dr. Lee? Jada. And I would say that this has been sent on behalf of Jada. I think it's from her dad. Open your journal to the correspondence section. This is the final in-character prompt of the game. Write a letter to Jada, explaining in your own words what happened to Dr. Lee, how you and others carried on her legacy, and how Jada and other people like her were essential to Dr. Lee's mission. End the letter by providing Jada with Olivia Chin's contact information to join the Little Citizens Science Club. Once you've finished your letter, close your journal. Dear Jada, thank you so much for your letter. It's always lovely to hear from people who are interested in finding out more about cryptids. I do know Melanie Sparrow. She is a dear friend of mine, and... In fact, we have both just returned from our first expedition for the Elizabeth Lee Foundation in search of the Dipotamus ancylocapra, or pronged horned desert rat. Honestly, I do not know where Dr. Lee is or if she will return to us soon. But I do know that thanks to everyone here at the Foundation, we are determined to carry on with her legacy and work so that she isn't forgotten. We want to ensure that were she to walk through the door at any moment, we would have done her proud. Dr. Lee loved talking about cryptids and was always encouraging to people who were just beginning on their cryptid discovery journey. People like you, Jada. You and your passions for learning about the unknown are so, so important. It's the way we can keep making discoveries about the world and hopefully leave it in a better place than we found it. I have put the contact details for the LCSC below. Olivia Chin is the person you would need to speak to. 
tell her I sent you and she'll take care of the rest. Best wishes and stay curious. Amy Parker, Wildlife and Cryptid Educator, Cryptid Research and Rehabilitation Hub, London Zoo. Day 20. Thank you. This is an optional thing to do at the end of Field Guide to Memories. It's to help honour our time and experiences and a way to close the game as a path back to our own lives. You know, so it's an optional thing. I've already had a quick look through it. I'm not going to be able to do most of it because it's stuff that is to do with physical stuff. But I'll quickly summarise what I have to do. So essentially... What we would normally do collect everything you have together. So the book that Dr. Lee gave me in the first week, the three leaves that I pressed inside, a card, an envelope, a hot paper glue, my game journal and a writing implement. I would have to take these leaves I've sort of pressed and I have to put one of them in my game journal. Uh, it gives quite a lot of detail about how to glue it in. And then... Whilst that's doing that, I should be thinking of somebody, thinking of someone I know in real life, so not someone my character knows, from whom I learnt something fundamentally important to who to who I am now. It could be anyone I'm still in touch with, or someone I've drifted away from, or even someone who passed away. I had to think about what they taught me, and try and put it into a sentence if I can, and write that sentence that the leaf is attached to. Uh, with the card I have, uh, I've got to write what that person taught me and their legacy that I carry on and write a short message to them and sign my name. I mean, I'm going to just talk about that out loud. I think that's easier just for the purposes of this. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's go for my English teacher. What I obviously have many teachers, but I think one that sticks out in my mind that this would be relevant to is uh, Mrs. Skinner. Incredibly tall, uh, sort of eloquent woman, obviously really passionate about English literature. She was always quietly passionate about stuff, but at the same time, I think she was very confident in her opinions about things. I guess I am glad I knew her. Whilst I don't agree with everything she taught me, she definitely was a very strong role model. Uh, for teaching, I think. Like, her lessons were very interesting, and she also gave me my voice in English lessons. I think there's some merit to that. I think I do take my time with things now and mull things over and, you know, put something out there, but at the same time, maybe I need to risk it a bit more. And then what would happen next is that I would pick up this letter, put it in an envelope, write their name on it, and essentially pretend to post it. It's just sending my thanks out into the world. So what I'd say is, um, I'll just say it here, really. Thank you, Mrs. Skinner. And you taught me a lot, not only about English lit, but also about myself and about how to evaluate and value things. And like I said, whilst I didn't necessarily agree with everything you said, especially towards the end, I appreciate what you did for me. And finally, I need to make two short letters one letter, at first using up to a no more than a hundred words, write a goodbye letter to Dr. Lee, as you 
not your character. Telling her what you're happy you've learnt from knowing her. And then secondly, using up to and no more hundred words, write a goodbye letter to your character. Thanking them for the best parts of what you experienced living in the world through them. So, I'm going to be honest. And I know I seem to be harping on about it. That sort of misconduct from the documentary... I know it's only one-sided, and I know it was a lot of jargon and stuff, but it makes me... it does make me uncomfortable. Um, I know Dr. Lee did a lot of good in the world, and I know that, you know, we all go through rough patches, myself included. But I th guess it's a good reminder that, you know, don't meet your heroes. You know, don't idolise them too much. So all I've written to Dr. Lee is this, I said... Dear Dr. Lee, thank you for allowing me to continue on with your legacy. Whilst I know you aren't the person I thought you were, I appreciate the ideals and values you stand for and want to carry on this notion of inspiring others to follow their dreams. Best wishes, Fiona. Dear Amy, thank you for allowing me to play you. I hope you aren't too worried or anxious or overwhelmed by the concept of leading this new board at the Elizabeth Lee Foundation. Whatever you decide to do, only you can make it happen. And maybe teaching others to not put people on pedestals and helping them up to your level is the way forward. Best wishes, Fiona. So the idea is that you put one leaf in your journal, one leaf in this card that you will send, and then the final leaf, and want to put it somewhere outside my house or somewhere inside or directly outside and then take a picture of it thinking of it as a transition back from the world of cryptobiology into my renewed dedication for the ecosystem of the world around me I'm moving on from the story I've created yeah that's the end of Field Guide to Memories obviously I know it's not the same experience because obviously I wasn't necessarily doing all the physical parts to it but in a way, these artifact games, obviously, you make what you create of it. So whether it is a physical journal or an audio journal, yeah, it's very interesting. I do feel like I um, <laughs> I got in the way a bit of myself in week three about this whole HR thing. I'm a very staunch believer in, like, you know, nobody's perfect. And I guess the way people were idolising Dr. Lee, you know, and this outpouring of grief, completely understandable, but... No, there's definitely more to her than met the eye and a side of her that I, as a player, probably didn't really realise. So, yeah, just, just interesting, I guess. What Am I Rolling podcast was created, recorded, and edited by me, Fiona Howard. This episode's player was Fiona Howard. This episode's RPG was Field Guide to Memory, a connected path game about legacy, wonder, cryptids, and the vastness of a human life, designed by Yeon Shim and Xingying Kuo. You can find out more information about Field Guide to Memory and get your own copy on itch.io. The theme music was 8-Bit March by Twin Musicon of twinmusicon.org licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. 
you want to find out more about the podcast, check out the website. That's www.wairpodcast.com. Fancy getting in touch? Email the podcast at whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at wair underscore podcast for latest news on upcoming episodes. And remember, adventurers need not apply.